Well, if you found a good podcast, it is a Thursday and uh, it's March 10th coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota, just outside of Minneapolis, Minnesota, snuck away in a little basement bunker uh, for the Common Good Revolution. And uh, joined today by Terry Esau, who is also in the Minneapolis area. So, uh, Terry, we usually talk to people about the weather where they are for the first, you know, three minutes because we like to say, the weather is the one thing we actually all do hold in common. So you can start with the common good weather and uh, sort of go from there. And you and I actually do uh, experiencing the same big blue sky here in the uh, Minneapolis area today. Yeah, so it's cold, cold where you are too, huh? Yeah, it's real cold over here, you know, just uh, just east of you. Um, yeah, it's, you know, that weather from out there in Mount starts to come this way within, sometimes within minutes, uh, we get your weather. Uh, I'm, uh, hey, I'm not that far from you. I'm, uh, I'm right by Lake Calhoun, but hey, Matoska. You are. Now, so you're south. I, I pardon me, I had remembered you living west of me, but uh, did, did, you, did you move? Years. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. All right. So, hey, okay. So other than you and I, you know, reminiscing about where we live and where we used to live, uh, we have important things to talk about today because you've started two really great organizations that I think are fantastic. And frankly, in a time when we've all experienced so much um, division, so much isolation, so much fear for one another uh, on a global stage, an international stage, in our own homes, in our, in our politics, everything, it's just so much strife that um has come to the surface it's kind of good to you know uh talk about these really positive things that you've been up to and uh, i'm a big fan of yours and so excited about these organizations so uh, one of them is around bikes one of them is around guitars and both of them are focused on kids so uh you started two organizations uh the first one that i remember you talking about a couple years ago was bikes for kids free bikes for kids where you're Asking people and organizations to donate bikes and make a, a, a process for getting bikes to kids, and now recently have launched Guitar for Kids. So uh, let's let's talk about both of these. Uh, Terry Esau, you common do-gooder. What are you? Uh, what are you up to with these organizations? Yeah, I'm I'm a bikeaholic. So I, I know you rode your bike across the country. I did that when I was 16 years old, actually. Uh, didn't do it quite the way you did it. I rode it from here in Minnesota to the West Coast and back. Um, really? So I, you know, and I had a, I had a paper route when I was a kid because hey, you get paid to ride your bike, right? Um, but then uh, I started racing my bike in my forties, and then I started crashing my bike in my fifties, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so I, I decided I, I should probably stop racing before I kill myself, but. Um, I've all I've, I've always been a bikeaholic guy. I love bicycles. I call my bike my carbon fiber therapist because uh-huh. I get on my bike, I go for a ride, and I come back happy. Yeah. And and I just started noticing that uh, all my friends had garages, and we all still had our little kids' bikes from when mm-hmm. our kids were little. And you know, and then I started doing a little research and go, yeah, there's probably millions of bikes sitting in people's garages that are probably decent bikes. They've just been outgrown. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I, I thought I was starting a hobby, <laughs> uh, nice. you know, one, one December we, me and my, the bike club that I started, uh, we just said, Hey, if you've got a bike that you're not using, that's been outgrown by your kids, donate to us. We're going to fix it up and give it to kids for Christmas. And we did 250 bikes that first year. Wow. My friends, that's fun. Let's do it again next year. And we did about 750. And we said, that's fun. 
let's do it again next year. And it was about 1500. And that's when I said, this is feeling less and less like a hobby. Um, how about if we form a nonprofit, I'll go find a corporate sponsor. I went and talked to Alina health here. Uh, they came on board and that year we gave away 5,000 bikes. Wow. So, what, what year was that? That was, uh, 2011, I think. Okay. Um, so then we continued to do that here in Minneapolis for a few years. And then I, I kind of looked at our model and said, we have a unique model because we only collect bikes one day a year. And by the way, we hold the Guinness World Record uh, for the most <laughs> bikes collected in a day. Uh, How, many is, bikes? How many bikes is that? What is the well, Guinness World Record? It's, it's 5,512 bikes. But then the next year, we collected almost 10,000 bikes in one day. But but it costs a minimum of $8,000 to set a Guinness World Record, so we didn't bother upgrading our record. That's great. Um, so anyhow, that was, uh, you know, we, we kind of looked our, at our model and said, you know, if we create all the resources, I think we can take this, I think we can take this to other cities and mm-hmm. uh, start spreading it. And, and my board said, if you come full time with the organization, uh, we'll do that. So we did, and now we're in 16 or 17 cities. Uh, we're, we're at about 120,000 bicycles given away. And we have a goal, a crazy goal, in the next five years to give away a million bikes. So okay. we'll see where that <clears throat> All right. So who, uh, how, how do people find out about this and what, what kids receive these bikes? You know, I, I can see from the person, you know, I have one of those garages that have bikes in them that not only do we not use anymore, but we don't want to put any energy into fixing them or, you know, getting right. them ready to go. And, and it's just, it's, you know, it all just kind of feels like a hassle. So I can totally see how someone would feel like, hey, this is a great cause, better than dropping it off, you know, at a Goodwill or at a, you know, one of those other donation spots that it's really targeted to go for, you know, for certain kids. How are the kids connected to this or who, who do you work with to distribute the bikes? So uh, an interesting story. So that very first year, you know, uh, my career was in something completely different. So I had no idea how to do a nonprofit or so we just put an ad in a local paper out on the west side of the metro said, hey, if you had a tough year financially, you can't afford to buy your kid a Christmas present this year and they don't have a bike. Come on down. Uh, a, A lady showed up in a full length mink coat, huge diamond. She walks in and she goes, this is such a fantastic cause you have here. Uh, you know, we've always had to transport our bikes up to our cabin in the summer. She goes, now we won't have to do that. We'll just have bikes up there too. And uh, <laughs> I, I gave her a beat and, uh, and all of a sudden the light bulb went off and she goes, oh, that's not what this is about, is it? And I go, no, I don't think so. Yeah. So, but after that, I realized... Um, we have to get a little smarter about how we, how the kids are selected to get bikes. So what we did is we stopped kids or families can apply to us directly to get a bike. Only organizations that work with low income families. So they apply to us to become a benefiting partner Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's schools. Uh, So we, we look for schools that have an 80, 90% free or reduced lunch program. Uh, participation 
We look, we have community based organizations. It might be YMCA, Boys and Girls Club. We work with faith based organizations that are working with low income families. So they apply every year about a hundred and some organizations apply locally here to become a benefiting partner. We vet them. We go, are you doing good work? Do you do your best to keep the dignity of people intact? You know, we look at all those kind of things and then we select about 75 of them. So it might be 15 schools and then, and then they, then they choose the kids who receive the bikes. So we set up the giveaway events and then they bring the kids to the events to get the bikes. So you hold an event on the day. So there's a, a day when bikes are donated and then they're worked on and got into good shape. And then there's another day where these kids show up and, and receive a bike. Yeah. It's more than a day to, it takes more than a day to give away. Cause we're, you know, we're giving away between seven and eight or 9,000 bikes here in Minnesota alone oh my every, land. every year. So, so it, you know, it's a, it's a process. So it might be over spread over a few weeks with multiple events uh, we we actually bring bikes to to the schools, so we'll go into the gymnasium. We'll bring three hundred bikes, and we'll work with the staff at the school and say, "We're going to bring bikes that will fit second and third graders." So, have your staff reach out every second and third grader who doesn't have a bike, have them show up in the gym at this time, and we're going to fit them for a bike. We give them a brand new helmet. Um, they get the bike sized and fit to them. They get a little training on safety, uh, all that stuff. So they they go away with the bike. That's incredible. Uh, and uh, so t- talk about the st- the story that you're feeling while all this is happening. Because as you, as you describe it, I'm sure people are thinking like, oh, my lens, this is so much work. Not only to get the bikes and make sure they're repairable and how you're moving them around and what do you do with the bikes that aren't actually you know able to be repaired. I can just imagine the level of things. But then you get these experiences of both the donator, you know, the person donating the bike, but then these kids in a gym or in a tent that are seeing them, what do you think is happening with those kids in their minds that sort of for you and all the people at Free Bikes for Kids makes this so so worthwhile? Well, it's interesting because obviously I've, I've been part of this from the beginning and I've seen, you know, tens of thousands of bikes given away. Quite often you, you see a kid with a huge smile on their face and you see a parent with a tear in their eye, Hmm. you know, and they're going this, you know, I wanted to give my kid a bike, but we just didn't have the resources to do it. So, um, it's, it's a, it's a, you know, this is why I do it because, because of those looks, because of the fact that I've been blessed, you know, I I was (laughs) born in the right place with the right, skin color with the right all kinds of stuff so that i was born to to privilege and i yeah my first bike was a piece of crap that i got from my brother um that barely worked but i had one you know yeah. um so and about it's over 75 percent of our bikes are given to bipoc um so we're most of our bike giveaways end up being in, uh, you know, in very urban areas. Uh, so it's a, it's a very diverse uh, crowd of kids who are getting our bikes. And, 
and we think that's a pretty cool thing. Another interesting story, Doug. Um, we just launched uh, programs in Santa Fe, Albuquerque, and Phoenix, and we are taking 50% of all the bikes that are refurbished there, and we're sending them to the reservations in the Four Corners region. Mm-hmm. So it's the Navajo, Hopi, Zuni, um, and we're working with uh, an organization called Navajo Yes, with Cycle Kids. Uh, we're partnering with all kinds of people, and uh, yeah, we're putting a lot of those kids on bikes in, wow. in the reservation area. And there's, there's, I think it's ten thousand square miles. There's not a single bike shop on any wow. of those reservations. Um, you know. And we're and now what we're doing is we're bringing in programs into schools. We're working with Project Bike Tech that comes into schools and teaches kids in high school and middle school how to repair and fix their bikes. All since right. there's no since there's no bike shops or there's no place yeah. to get your bike fixed. So we're going, okay, how do we need to maybe teach them how to fix their own bikes then? So uh yeah, we're we're working on all kinds we're trying to solve, you know problems that go beyond just a kid without a bike and then we're working with organizations like nica which is the national interscholastic cycling association that does mountain bike racing with um Mm -hmm. in high schools so they're coming in they're now uh, on in the four corners area on on several schools so a kid gets a bike they learn how to fix a bike now they get an opportunity to race in a league in you know, so we're trying to create more of this holistic sort of uh, opportunity for kids. So when you say, you know, there's no bike shops around, I totally understand that. When we did our cross-country bike ride, we were in those areas just south of there, and there were hundreds of miles between bike shops, right? And we got flat tires all the time. It was, fortunately, we were traveling with a trailer that had spare tires and tubes in it. Um, what? How are you thinking about this, you know, with the tens of thousands of bikes that you've given away, they, they do break, right? Tires break and wheels get squeaky and all that stuff. Um, what, what's that? What, how is that all going? Like what, what happens when a kid gets a bike and then tries to figure out what they're going to do with it, what they're going to do with it next? That's a problem we're still trying to solve. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we did a, a survey of, of kids who got our bikes and we asked, um, if you're not riding your bike anymore, why not? The nice. number one answer was it's broken, which probably means I had a flat tire, the, the most common thing. And guess what, guess what the second most common reason was that they're no longer riding their bike? They outgrew it? Stole oh. it. Oh, come on. Oh, so, come on. <laughs> and we, I, don't, I, don't, I shouldn't say this on a podcast that's going out, but... Part part of us, we look at that as one of our redistribution models. Uh, <laughs> you follow up with those kids and say, "Well, we'll backfill that like a like a Polish yeah, right, right. But but yeah, the the problem. I mean, we've tried to work out deals with um, you know bike shops and chains of bike shops um, mm-hmm. to go. How you know is there one day a year where if a kid comes into your bike shop? and it has our sticker decal logo on it, nice. they can get a change or they can get the chain lube. They can, you know, get some stuff like that. But that's, it's a, it's a hard thing to do to get a universal kind of yeah. agreement like that. Um, 
we get a lot of kids who come in, they, they trade in the bike they had, uh, they, you know, and two years later they come and they, they end up getting a bike now that fits them. And they, the one that they had is donated yeah. back, given to somebody else. So, um, yeah, we, we still have things to figure out. Um, but we're yeah, making and progress. You, and I actually think it's like, it's illustrative to any, uh, action that we do to try to make it, positive change in the world um like how how that stays sustainable how you keep up the work that's that's a big that's a big question that everybody faces on you know every issue of personal collective change uh what what happens what happens down the road and some people that becomes uh, a stop point for them they just can't they they can't figure out how to how to remedy that situation and I'm of the opinion the only way you're going to figure it out is to put yourself in the situation where you have to figure it out, right? Like you, you just have to keep going and you have to keep doing it. And that that pressure of now is the right time uh, to to do this. Well, you've talked a little bit about bikes themselves, right? And like why you're into them. I, uh, Roger Flyers mentioning in here that uh, his first bike was a 28 inch English bike that was his grandfather's. Uh, I remember my first bike uh, as a kid. Uh, and I remember thinking about it, we went to a store and bought it and we weren't from the kind of family that had a lot of money to do that. So it was a really big deal. It was a Huffy Thunder Road. And uh, I mean, I still have an emotional attachment to that little thing, you know, and uh when I could jump a curb and that kind of an experience, you're into bikes. I, I'm, I'm into biking. Some of the people might be listening to this because they're into biking. What do you think it is and, and why you know, kids need a lot of things, right? Of course, you know, and all these same kids have many needs across, across their, their lives. What makes this so magical and why do people flock to it? Yeah, the whole thing, like making sure that a kid has a bike. Like it just feels like it's such, you know, it's a global thing, actually. Kids all over the world, especially in Europe, you know, biking is such a big deal. It's not just an American thing, but it just feels like it catches us somewhere that feels so right. Well, I, I always say the bike is the biggest thing you own between a teddy bear and a car, you know, it's and and is there... I mean, first of all, so you remember your first bike. Roger remembers his first bike. I remember my first bike. I ask this question all the time. Everybody remembers their first bike. And they can describe it. They can describe the feeling of that first time that their dad or somebody let go of the seat or they took the training wheels off. You know, it's... It's a, it's that first ticket to freedom that you feel, you know, it's, it's your first transportation that takes you more than a block from your house. It's it's adventure. Uh, It's freedom. It's exhilarating. I mean, it's, you know, the wind in your hair, the, yeah. I mean, it really is that car thing. I mean, now I'm, I'm thinking about, it. I remember listening to the music I would listen to and, you know, hearing Bruce Springsteen, Springsteen sing about Thunder Road. And all I have is a Huffy Thunder Road. You know, I'm like, well, I can't yeah. get in a car, but you know, I can, I can ride over to Tyrol Hills, you know, and no one knows where I am. And just that whole feeling of, like I'm, I'm busting out of this little neighborhood that I live in because I'm on my bike, and yeah, there's yeah. something really, really magical I'm about free. it. I'm free, I'm free. You know, yes. you lift your hands right. off the handlebars for the first time, and it starts to wobble, and you grab them. You're like, I'm not that free yet. You know, yeah. I don't have that skill. Yeah, it's really, but, it's really just great. Can I, can I tell you a story about you brought up Huffy? Mm-hmm. So, uh, if, 
about two years ago, I actually got a call from Huffy, and uh, they said, we have 11,000 20-inch pink girls' bikes with white tires, but something happened in manufacturing, and all the white tires are discoloring. They're turning brown and black, you know, streaks. And they said, we can't sell them. They said, if you can get them out of our warehouses in two weeks, and if you can give them away in countries where we don't sell Huffy bikes, you can have them. So we literally, we pulled that off. We gave 11,000 bikes, Huffy 20-inch pink princess uh, nice. girls away in 17 countries, including uh, Gambia, uh, Cameroon. And I, I have pictures from actually the Minister of Education in Cameroon showing little girls riding these bikes to school. So, uh, and they wow. were telling me the story that these little girls, the school was 10 kilometers away. And quite often the boys might get rides, but the girls don't. Yep. And if the girls had to walk, then they'd have to walk back after school. And then they'd have to do the stuff, chores or whatever. And they didn't, and, and they started uh, falling behind on their studies, then they would, the parents would pull them out of school. So, but because these kids now have transportation yeah, right. <laughs> to get to school, little girls are getting an education. And, wow. you know, that's something that, you know, I, I wasn't even dreaming of that when, when this idea came to me a while back. But now it's like little girls are getting an education because yeah. they have a bicycle. Yeah, that's. I, I can't imagine the logistics that went into getting your hands on eleven thousand bikes and then getting them somehow onto ships or however you got them uh, to you know to in, into that, other people. organization to make that happen happened in ten days. Wow! So you, know, you look at it and you and we worked with about ten different uh, companies that and we worked with World Vision that said we'll mm-hmm. we'll be your transportation partner on this. You know, so good things can happen, you know, if you if you just sit down, get on doing computer, it. you reach out to the right people because there, there are a lot of people out there that want to help make this happen. You just yeah, have to right. find. That's right. And there's a lot of people who want to make good things happen and they don't know how. Like you think about someone at Huffy who is now, you know woke up that morning and realized we really have to solve this 11,000, you know, bike problem, but they don't know how to get it to other countries. They just know that's what they want. And a company with all that status and with all that reputation and all those employees shoots an email or calls one guy running a small, you know, nonprofit organization who then figures out how to make, how to make things go. That's actually how the world works. It's, it's really something and it's easy to say to yourselves, let's make sure that all the larger organizations are the ones that have the resources, uh, are, are doing the thing. They, they often can't or don't, um, for, you know, many reasons. And it takes somebody to sort of step into that spot and to make it happen. And, and that's just, I, I think, you know, stories like yours are great for the actual work that you do. And also because they're inspiring about the kind of work that we ought to be doing and, and how stuff in the world gets done and, and how bikes end up in places and, and all the rest. All right. Do you want to say anything more about bikes before we talk about guitars? Uh, I was just going to say one thing. I, I, I wish I could remember I was listening to a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I think it was on uh, On Being with Krista Tippett, 
And she had somebody on there who was talking about, um, they had this term called asset framing. Hmm. I don't know. Have you heard this? Yeah, Where heard it's, yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, and we've, I know in the past we've said, you know, we're, we're providing uh, bicycles to at-risk kids, to kids in need, to underserved kids, you know, and, uh, I actually sent a link to that podcast to our board and I said, we need to rethink how we're talking about people. You know, let's, let's, let's not start the conversation by saying we're giving these bikes to, to kids who are at risk or whatever. Let's, let's start by saying we're going to give these kids, these bikes to kids who have great opportunity yes. to explore the world with these bikes and to grow their their network of relationships and to get to after school programs and you know I, I just think um, you know the, the older I get and the more realize the more I realize the disparity mm. in in what I've been given and what some people are born into it's like it's just it's a lot of this is luck right. Yeah, You know, so it's like we need to begin to start to think and how we talk about other people and let's let's asset frame them. Let's yes. paint them with, with the right kind of picture. Um, yeah. So I, that's just something I've been thinking about a lot and uh, trying to get our whole organization to rethink right. how we talk about it. Yeah, I love that. You know, and, and people who who are been close to issues of um, people who have a lot of great assets, but also have some are lacking some things to make their life full. They they know how to talk about this. You know, I, I first heard people talking about what I guess now is referred to as asset framing around disabilities. You know, there was a whole movement to shift away from talking about people who are disabled to saying you know that they're they're able to do a whole lot of things in fact they have a capacity to do other things that some of you can't do and and don't only think about what's missing think about what's right. available there and how you can participate and contribute to the the growth of that of that person you know I, I, way back in college i think i some psychology class or some kind but there was a, a the, the professor showed a piece of paper and then in the middle of the piece of paper put like a dot, you know, in the middle of the paper and said, um, what do you see? And everybody's like, a dot, a dot, a dot, a dot. And he's like, well, it's a piece of paper. I mean, the, the paper is the majority. There's just one little dot and you're all talking about the dot, right? He, the professor was trying to say there's there's more to see and sometimes we're trained because you're trained that when there's something unusual on the paper you only pay attention to that thing that's that's unusual you know we're trying to turn our minds as college students to seeing yeah. a wider story and boy if you know i i wish that had sunk in over my years between college and now uh it it's still a lot of work to 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 think about all of us and all of our situations through what are the assets that people have available to them and and how you can participate them changes charity and changes away from you know need and uh, lack and starts talking about abundance and capacity and participation rather than doing and helping and charity you know that that kind of thing it's a, it's a real it's a real mind mind uh, altering way of thinking about the world yeah i I've, I've been thinking a lot lately too about the complexity of poverty you know mm -hmm. poverty is those of us who have 
kind of tend to define poverty in, in only in terms of material things, right? And there's a lot of different kinds of poverty. One other thing about free bikes for kids. So, you know, I'm, I'm a person of faith. And early on when we were creating our bylaws for, uh, for free bikes for kids, you know, we were looking at it and, and at one of the board meetings, uh, one of the persons said, well, let's make sure we put in our bylaws that we're a Christian organization. And um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I was caught a little bit off guard by that. And I thought about it for a second. And I said, I don't know. I don't think that's a good idea. I said, first of all, uh, I don't think by naming yourself as a Christian organization that really makes you Christ-like. How about, how about if we act that way and then see if, you know, let, let's let our action show that. But then I said, there's, there's another thing is, and this was, this was long before, you know, the, the major polarization of America start. I guess it was probably underway then too, but it's gotten worse. I thought, I said, our, our mission is something that everybody can participate in. If you're Christian or Muslim, if you're red or blue, you know, I don't care. Let's, let's come together to do something good. And even more so now, it's like, this is something I even talk about more now because it's, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. so polarized. I'm going, the world needs, we need opportunities presented to us that give us the chance to rub shoulders with people who think very differently than us and to do something good together. You know, that's, that's one of the uh, secondary yeah. missions of Free Bikes for Kids is, hey, if we can offer an opportunity for people of disparate ideas and ideologies and, and religions, if they can come together to do something good together, that, right. that's a story. That, that's a good story. That's a good story. Uh, all right, so you, you, you had great success with bikes, and apparently that wasn't enough, so you, uh, you decided to also give away guitars. <laughs> well, uh, you know, my... Talk about oh, free guitar. I'm, I'm, play, I'm a new uh, guitarist, Jerry. I don't know if you know, but I started playing guitar about seven weeks ago. Uh, took it took it on as an adult, and and I can tell you all about the first guitar I ever owned because it's in my hands right now. I've owned it for so less can you than play smoke months. on the water yet? I can't. I can play. You know the cowboy chords of "Every Rose Has Its Thorn," though. That's the song I've picked that I'm going to master first, and I, only because it's in the application that I'm using as one of the one of the options. So I am really close to nailing a poison song. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so uh, what? Uh, okay, free guitars for kids. So what's this? Yeah, I. I don't know. I mean, you know, Doug, that my career was in the music business. So. Yeah. My 25 years, I wrote and produced music for TV commercials. Everyone from McDonald's to Pepsi to Harleys and Hondas and Target. And, you know, I, I did Target Christmas campaign with Amy Grant and a Sam Goody campaign with Alice Cooper and did some Sesame Street stuff. So my whole career before bikes was in the music <laughs> world. And I actually was a classical guitar major in college. So I was studying classical guitar. And now I completely suck at it. 
Is that but, true? Um, is, it, is, is, that a, is that a skill you can lose? Uh, unlike it's like riding a bike where you just, uh, you know, it, it stays with you. Well, it's like, it's like, I don't fall. When I pick up a guitar, I don't fall down and skin my knee. <laughs> but, but it, it, you know, people would go like, they might plug their ears. Cause I just, I, I, my skills have slipped drastically. Okay. Okay. Anyhow. Um, <clears throat> I, I love music and I think music has music can speak to our souls. You know, you, mm-hmm. you, I mean, music is, is everybody loves it. Right. I mean, there's nobody, it's like, it's like a bike. Nobody doesn't like riding a bike. Nobody doesn't like listening to music. Right. We all have our preferences, which is yeah. cool. Um, right. But, and, and music can really, I mean, we know that music, learning a musical instrument changes the wiring in your brain. It, you know, it's proven that it helps you do better in math and science uh, stuff. It, um, it, it brings, it, it lights up your brain. It does, it yeah. does so many wonderful things. And I just thought, um, well, this is a little side story here. Do we have time for a side story? Yeah, we got all the time in the world. So I went to uh, one of Prince's last concerts at Paisley Park, and he was going to be doing a tour called uh, One Piano, One Mic, and Prince. Basically, I don't know. I don't remember what they're going to call it. So there were like 200 people that got invited to this thing, and mm-hmm. there's a and, and on the stage was a full a brand new purple piano with the gold inlaid wow. glyph on it for him. And he came out and he started walking in circles around the piano. And he walked around and he played one note. And then he'd walk around the piano again and he'd play two notes. And he started telling this story of how his dad didn't want him to touch the piano. You you don't want to play it, so don't touch the piano. And and he just wove this story in. And, you know, what I was thinking on this is that how many kids are out there that they don't, there's no piano in their house where they can sneak to it and experiment. They don't have a guitar. Um, it's, it's just like a bike, you know. I think if a kid has an interest in learning to play a musical instrument, I think they should have that opportunity. Yeah. And who knows? It's like I, I've always said, my goal is someday that a kid is standing on the top step of the Tour de France and says, you know, after winning the tour and says, I got my first bike from Free Bikes for Kids. Yeah. I want a kid to be standing at the Grammys someday, you know, winning best album of the year, saying, I got my first guitar from Free Guitars for Kids. I mean, yeah. how cool would that be? And I think, I really believe that we can give away tens, maybe hundreds of thousands of guitars. And, it, it's a math problem, right? One of those yeah. kids is going to be the next Clapton or Prince or Dave right. Grohl or Jack White or Andre Segovia or, you know, or Kenny Chesney or, you know, I mean, yeah. who knows? But I, I think you give away enough guitars, you're going to find, you know, somebody who's going to change the world with their music and they're going to write love songs and they're going to write protest songs, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that help change and move our culture. 
So that's a pretty cool thing. Sure is. All right. So I can see that people want to get that bike out of their garage and they're glad that they can find an organization that can turn that, that they can keep the joy that was in the bike when it was first used and then, you know, sort of sat there joyless for a while. And now it's, it's back in motion and man, everybody's got to feel great about that. Right. Rather than, I don't know, recycling or just sort of parting it out. A guitar, on the other hand, man, these seem like things that people are never wanting to give away. Uh, is that true? Is it the same thing where people have, you know, a beautiful instrument like this around their, their life and they, they want to move it on to somebody else? We don't have the, you know, there's no way to exactly validate this, but yeah. I, there are more guitars purchased than any other instrument. And we know that learning guitar, even though it's not the most difficult thing in the world, it's not the easiest thing in the world. <laughs> it is not. It might be the most difficult thing in the world. I, I've, I've, I'm, I'm right on the edge of this. Yeah, it might be. And there are a lot of people who get a guitar and they, they, let, they give up mm -hmm. on it. Mm -hmm. And those guitars are still sitting in people's houses. So the original vision of this, Doug, was that uh, we get, you know, artists to do a pro bono concert. You can't actually purchase a ticket for the concert. The only way you can get into the concert is you have to bring a guitar to donate. Nice. So that was that was the original vision. And then we started going, that's a lot of logistics, <laughs> um, you know, and which we have in Free Bikes for Kids, but we've created a model to deal with it. But I'm going, can we make free guitars simpler. So we've talked with Fender and Fender is coming on as a sponsor of free guitars for kids. And what we're going to be doing is there's going to be a guitar, a Fender guitar that's designated as the free guitars for kids guitar. And it'll be acoustic guitar with a case, with a tuner, with picks, with, you know, everything you need. It's like a package. Yep. So when we're doing a pro bono concert, uh, you can go online you, you buy that guitar online, and now you get a ticket to the concert. So now those guitars stay at Fender. Um, so let's say a 1,000 people purchase a guitar to get into this concert. So Fender has a 1,000 guitars, mm -hmm. and now we go to them and say, send 50 guitars to this school. Send 50 guitars to this music-based uh, nice. nonprofit. So now we don't even touch the guitars. They, uh, you know, they, they get purchased. They get sent to where uh, the kids are going to use them. So we're going to probably do a combination of those two models because I, I like the idea, the visual of people showing up at a concert and, you know. Absolutely. There's some great about that, right? People are walking up with guitars. Um, and we did a cup. We've done two shows now with uh, Corey Wong. I don't know if you know who Corey is. Great, great local guitarist. Um, his horn section was Prince's horn section. Sonny Thompson's the bass player for him. I mean, they're unbelievable. So they did a show. Actually, they're in, on tour in Europe right now. But they did a show in Nashville. And Corey auctioned off the guitar he played during the show <laughs> he signed it wow. and auctioned it off proceeds going to free guitars for kids we brought in a few kids up on the stage Corey talked about his first guitar and how it changed his life and then we gave those kids their first guitar 
Uh, And then we came back here about two weeks ago and we had another show at First Avenue and we did the same thing. Mm So um, we're off and running. We're only about two months into the launch of Free Guitar for Kids, but it's going to be fun. And it's, I think we're going to give away a lot of guitars. Is is this going to stay? Is the show up and bring a guitar somewhere going to stay located here in the Minneapolis area until you get it scalable, or will there be a chance for people, you know, anywhere in the country to do something with the guitar that they have? Yeah. So, I mean, right now, I mean, we have board board members in the Bay Area, in uh, in Nashville, in Texas, uh, okay. working mm-hmm. on some other things. So. And I, I just talked to a, a friend who is uh, a GM of a, a record label in Seattle, Sub Pop Records, has Father John Misty on it and a bunch of other artists. Mm-hmm. And he just said, hey, if you want to do a show in Seattle, we'll, we'll bring our, our artists in to do a show for you. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's going to be all over, I think. Yeah. Um, we're going to try to start out small so that the mistakes we make will be small, <laughs> and, but but hopefully in a in a couple of years, I you know I'd love to see a you know a, a significant show at a major venue where you get ten thousand guitars purchased in one night you know at one yeah. event. I mean, how cool would that be? That would just be it would be fantastic. Now I can see why a group like Fender would would see this as uh, a good thing for them first of all it's just a good thing um they're able to package up some guitars at cost and distribute those a kid then says my first guitar was a fender which will you know uh, elicit some some connection to them and the brand with bikes and, and now with guitars there are people whose job it is every day and whose livelihood is to get someone to not buy a used bike or get a used bike and to or guitar and to get a new one, right? That's what drives the whole system. Has there been any subtle or more overt pushback to, hey, uh, you know, the thing we do in capitalistic society is throw the old stuff away and buy new stuff, and that's how we redistribute. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't need to get a million bikes. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, solving the we need a bike problem. We want people to buy new bikes. Has there been anything like that at all, or is it well? So like when we come into a city, I'll, I'll usually try to meet with the owners of the bike shops and mm-hmm. talk to them, talk them through this. Cause you know, the first concern might be, are you taking sales away from us? Yeah. But it's very easy for us to show uh, our history and how these kids are selected. And we're going, you know, there's a chance we might be taking sales away from Walmart but we're not taking sales away from uh, yeah. from bike shops because they're selling brand name bikes, and you know they're three four hundred dollars to yeah. you know, two hundred dollars at least to get a a kid's bike. So, um, and the other thing, what and in the broader industry, what we're mm-hmm. telling the manufacturers is that we're creating a whole new revenue <clears throat> revenue source for you. These kids were not going to get a bike. They're getting yeah, a bike now. I mean, someday they're going to be buying another bike. So, yeah. and for the most part, the industry gets that, and they've been supporting yeah. us. Uh, everyone from Trek to Specialized, yeah. And I'm I'm on the uh, the National Youth Cycling Coalition board. So, the top 
eight or nine organizations that are promoting youth cycling in America. So the heads of each of those organizations are on that board. So now we're trying to work collectively as a team yeah. to go, how do we grow youth cycling in America? And it's, mm-hmm. it's everyone from um, trips for kids to safe routes to school to uh, BMX USA to NICA to USA Cycling, which is, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. the organization that um, runs all the cycling competition, including the Olympics, you know, cycling teams, um, people for bikes. So all of those organizations are coming together. And mm. now what we're trying to do is set up pilot cities where all of our organizations come in. We work together. We then measure the impact that we're having on the community, including the economic impact, because there is an mm-hmm. economic impact that, that boosts things when, uh, when you grow the cycling culture in a community. Oh, so, yeah, yeah so I, I think for the most part, the industry is supporting us. They aren't supporting us financially like I wish they were. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like like the Fender guitar model with the bike company would also be a great thing, wouldn't it? If there was, they were right. shipping five thousand bikes to you know to kids in need somewhere. Yeah, but you know, ultimately, Fender's going to make money off of us, you know, because they're going to be when we do a, a a large show, a lot of people are going to be want to go to that show and they're going to go buy a Fender guitar to give to yeah. a kid. Fender's going to make some. How much is it going to cost for someone to buy that? guitar as a ticket for the show well right now we we're trying to we want to give away decent guitars you know yeah. so we're trying to we're looking at about it's about a 160 dollar guitar uh, we're working on them getting that cost down to a hundred dollars because we want it to be under a hundred dollar ticket and then what we're trying to do is work with the, the country music association the rock and roll the all mm-hmm. of these and say because they all have foundations. What we want to do is say, okay, for every guitar, Fender guitar that's purchased, will the Country Music Association subsidize $10 of that guitar? Will the Gospel Music Association subsidize $10? You know, so, so those foundations, if we can start to partner with them and the Grammy yeah. Foundation, um, I've met with the Prince Foundation, you know, so if we can get them to subsidize, you know, maybe we can actually get the cost down to $50 to the consumer. Yeah. Yeah. So for $50, you can give a kid a guitar and then it's subsidized by these other organizations and by Fender. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be guitar lessons, right? Or it's online lessons or that kind of thing that would roll out of it. And now all these so, people who I'm, know a little something. So, so Fender has online lessons. It's called Fender Play. Mm-hmm. And so what we said with Fender is if, if we're partnering with you on this, would you be willing to make that a free, a free opportunity for every kid that gets a guitar? And I go, absolutely. Yeah. So they get a guitar, they get an opportunity for free online lessons. So it's, it's, just, it's, it's a little easier than fixing, you know, when your bike breaks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, 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 broke I No, I can't, I can't play things. Uh, you know, I can, I can strum along and it, it is, uh, I have to, you know, hide away in my house so it doesn't distract my wife because it is still brutally painful to, uh, to listen to. 
but I will say, much like riding a bike or or other things of you know joy, um, how good it sounds is not the point for me at this you know at this stage. Like making music, because I will tell you, okay, can I give you a little story about my own getting into guitars seven weeks yeah. ago? Um, I grew up without. Uh, without music, uh, like I listened to music, but that was it. We just weren't a musical family. There were no instruments around our house. I was so musically incapable that even at Meadowbrook Elementary School in Golden Valley, where I went, they uh, didn't let me be in choir. And then at the at the Golden Valley Middle School, they they asked me to not be in choir or in trombone because I just lacked all ability. So I was moved into what was called general music. So I don't know what the what the equivalent would be now, but it's sort of where you know maybe you you do you do music on paper. You don't actually try to try to make things. I I, I truly remember the the choir class. I think it was sixth grade or seventh grade where the choir teacher stopped and I remember her looking at me and somehow asking something like, are you intentionally trying to be disruptive because you're going to leave? And I'm like, no, I'm really not trying. I'm just that bad. You know, the next day I was in general music. So I didn't have a family that was into music. I did. I don't have any musical ability. I love it a lot. So I just started hanging around musicians to sort of, you know, pick up on it. So I had just, I just, told myself the story. Oh, I, I didn't have the talent. I didn't have the experience. And I missed the window of when you could learn to play guitar. I don't know, three months, two months ago, I watched that uh, Beatles documentary, Get Back. I was utterly enthralled with it, uh, all the way to the point that I recruited two friends to do a podcast with me that's in our podcast stream, if people are interested in this, where we talked about it, that show. And both of these guys, one of them is a guitar instructor, the other one, you know, semi-professionally plays around in bands and stuff in place. And I remember saying in that, in that conversation with them, you know, hey, when did you all first get into the Beatles? And they're like, well, when I was a kid, you know, as a 12-year-old or 10-year-old, something like I had a guitar or I went and got one because I heard this music and it compelled me. And I was thinking back like, man, I wish in my childhood when I heard music, I would have said, I want to go make that music. That was just nowhere in my purview, right? Like, I don't know. I had a story in my head that was, I missed the window. Then I watched I don't know, some video about something. I don't know, maybe about, oh, I was looking up the... The, the Peter Jackson, who made the movie, uh, made the documentary. I watched a YouTube video about him that we included, and it rolled to a next video interview with Paul McCartney. And just in this conversation, Paul McCartney said, um, "You know, I do music like this and like this, and and since I can't read music, I have to do this and that." And I thought, Paul McCartney can't freaking read music. Like, how is that possible? And something just went off in my head where I thought. Well, if he can't read music and can create the music, maybe, yeah. I don't know why, but maybe the fact that I thought I lost my window, you know, I, that I didn't do it and didn't have the capacity, like, I should just play guitar. And, you know, as is in line with my personality, I was like, asked my friend Tim, uh, who's a guitar instructor, I said, do you ever teach adults? He goes, that's all I teach. Like, that's not, you know, for the most part, I teach adults who've never played guitar. And I said, is it possible then? Like, literally, this is two months ago. Is it possible for a, someone in their, you know, 55-year-old person who has no musical ability and has never strummed a guitar intentionally in his life, could I learn to play the guitar? 
He said, absolutely. So I hunted around within two or three days was, you know, said, that's it. I'm, I'm in, bought a guitar and was off and running. So like this story that you're talking about with these kids, there are so many people who are just told for whatever reasons, you know, intentionally or unintentionally, don't touch the piano. It's not your thing. You're not good at this. The window is closing for you to do this thing. And, um, you know, I, I have I have zero regrets that I didn't play guitar. I did lots of other things, you know, in my childhood and yeah. stuff, and probably wouldn't have done them if I was taking guitar lessons. I don't know, but but I think that's just a story that exists for a lot of us, right? That whatever it is that we tell ourselves was the thing that kept us away from doing the thing we really want to do that that you know that we wanted to do, but just feel like we can't do it. Uh, I think it's great that you're sort of solving that solving that problem. Yeah, I mean that's a great story. So when I was in college, I was teaching, I took a year off of college and I taught, I had 55 guitar lessons a week and almost, <laughs> almost made me go insane. Um, cause all I did was teach junior high boys how to play smoke on the water for nine months. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. I'm going to learn smoke on the water. Just, just yeah. to join that. Crowd. But, I, but I had, I had this one little old lady. I, I, think she was 75 or 80 and she wanted to learn how to play classical guitar really? and and she had arthritis in her fingers but the joy that came out of this lady in learning to make music at you know she's older than you doug <laughs> yeah good and and just, you know, it was like my favorite guitar student. And to be honest, I have not thought about her mm. in many, many years. So it just, it brings it back that yeah, it, it's never too late to learn something like this. But what I want to do is prevent yes. the Doug Paget's who maybe yes. had the skill when they were little, but they didn't have the opportunity. You know, that that's yeah. what we hope to prevent. Yeah, and, and you know the, the bikes for kids, the guitars for kids, all of this work. It's trying to to re-narrate or give people a different advantage, a different opportunity for something that they might that they might want to know about. And that's kind of the work that we just do in humanity, right? You you want right. to replace a set of destructive or limitation narratives with possibility and with opportunity, like that. That feels like the human flourishing that faith calls us to, that humanity calls us to, that we're supposed to be up to, which is why when the opposite of that is happening, whether it's wars in Ukraine or poverty or systemic racism or physical violence that people do to one another or economic limitations, those are doing the opposite of that, right? And that's what you want to replace with possibility and optimism and story of a different kind of future than only the one that seems to be preordained for you. And and I mean, I'm somebody who's... Who, believes and has sort of lived my life with the sensibility that, hey, we can make things happen. We can create things that don't exist, right? We can create organizations, we can create music, we can create beauty, all that. And at the same time, I had this thing like, yeah, but I could never play the guitar because there's a set of conditions that make that impossible. And that just turns out that's just utter bullshit. Like, that's not true. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I can. Um, I may want to. I may not. Like, I have zero interest in learning the trombone, which I'm also sure I could go and do. But, you know, I don't want to learn the trombone. But now, this, I'm watching that documentary, and all of a sudden, I'm like, when I felt this longing of regret, like, oh, I wish I had done that thing when I was 12 or 15. Like, 
well, why don't I do it now? It's kind of a lifetime of practicing that that even allows someone to to sort of you know to get to get over those. And you can think about delivering bikes to kids or kids seeing a system that wants to respond, whether it's bikes or guitars or just care. I mean, generally, kids feel loved and cared for. And like, hey, maybe if you feel like you don't have something now, maybe it won't always be that way. Boy, that is that is really good. That is just good work. Yeah, and for the people. You know, I mean, I think we've had, uh, I can't even remember the number if it's like 40,000 volunteers that have worked with us at Free Bikes for Kids now. When I started this thing, I, it never occurred to me that one of the great benefits is <laughs> the opportunity we give people to give back. But it's really interesting. I mean, some of the volunteers we have, they've been coming for a decade. Wow. And, and it's interesting how a lot of times you hear, well, if you have much, you have an obligation to give back. That's 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 in a way that's not that's the opposite of asset framing. You know, yes. it's like it's not an obligation; it's an opportunity, and it's a gift to change yeah. the the giver. Yeah. You know, right. the person who volunteers. I can't tell you how many volunteers have thanked me for the opportunity to work hundreds of hours, and I'm going. Wait, yes. I'm I'm supposed to be thanking you, and nice. they're going. This has brought so much joy to my life. There's, yeah. there's here's a great story. So there's a, a woman named Deb Fortner, local here. She yeah. la- was it last year? She went out. She believes in free bikes for kids so strongly, and she's volunteered over the years. She goes, I wonder how many bikes I could collect over the course of a year on my own. She, and this was in the news here. I don't know if you saw it. She collected a, over a thousand bikes by going to garage sales. And she would, first of all, she would say, I'll buy this from you, but I want you to know I'm going to be giving this. And she said, almost everybody gave her the bikes. Yeah. So she had them under tarps in her yard. A thousand <laughs> bikes. That's one person, one lady one. who's like, probably 60, 60 years old or so, 65, you know, and the joy, you just see the smile on her face. Like, look what I did. <laughs> yes. 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 Oh, it's so good. You know, that's uh thinking a lot about what we're all watching in Ukraine and how it sort of focuses the mind on the, the two impulses of humanity, right? The painful, evil, destructive impulses. And then I guess maybe three, people's ability to overcome that and then people's response to it, you know, in Poland or other parts of Ukraine, welcoming people in. And, and it is just, again, so obvious that doing the good thing is so much better than not doing the good thing. You know, it it is simple and ridiculous to have to say it, but it's easy for us to believe that somehow the world wants to be bent toward things that are not good. And it, it just seems to me that it's the other way. Uh, the world is bent and humanity is bent in a way that wants goodness. Yeah. What I remember when uh, the Saturday of after George Floyd was killed and the, we live real close in that area now. And I, I walked down with my phone and I was going to just, I thought I was going to take video of the destruction and stuff. I, I, so I was riding my bike down Lake street. And on that Saturday morning, there were, I, I don't know if you remember, there were thousands of people who came out with brooms and dustpans. Yes. Yeah. And they were cleaning up everywhere. And I'm going, wow, this, this is a powerful yes. story. 
you know. Yeah. So it's it's like what you say. Same thing as in Ukraine. You see the worst of humanity, and we're seeing the best. Yeah, you know, and it's like here's our choice, people. <laughs> Choose yeah. wisely, right? Yes, I mean, I, I had the same experience when I was down at, uh, at Lake Street. You know, on those. Well, each day, sort of after the after the murder of George Floyd, and I remember walking up to one of the storefronts, and it was the windows were broken out, um, and it was a little pizza shop, and we looked inside, and the cash register was there, and they use like iPads to as the cash register for like Square and stuff, and those are still sitting there, and this is you know ten o'clock in the morning, and so. People are like, okay, well, well, let's somebody go in. Like, who knows the owner of the building? Can we somebody reach the owner, find out whose store this is? And so then somebody said, well, I'll stand here to make sure nobody goes in. Somebody else then broke away the glass and climbed in and picked up stuff and kind of gathered it up and put it in a little bag. Uh, like, all of that thing is just sort of happening that people were saying, hey, we're going to protect these folks and this uh this this woman who ran a a, a somali weaving shop and 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 uh fabric shop her windows were broken out and people were finding plywood you know and then bringing it over and screwing it into the windows and saying we'll sit here for a while to make sure you know that everything's okay like all of that is also going on you know and and those are not little responses to you know bad situations those are those are powerful responses to, you know, to uh, circumstances that we find ourselves in. And so whether it's big and organized or a woman with a thousand bikes in her yard or people that want to give away a million bikes in the next five years or, you know, 10,000 guitars to kids, I appreciate you being on and for all the work you're doing and to remind us and to conjure up in each of us, you know, those, those other good things that, that, that we're all doing because it can be really hard to just keep going on the things, you know, you know, it's fun to look at the pictures and see the successes and see the things you've done that, you know, have accomplishment. And then all the hours in between where you're trying to put all that stuff together and, you know, trying to, uh, try to make sense out of all of it and feeling like you're, you know, you're, you're all the way in and treading water and underwater. Sometimes it's, uh, it's, it's a lot. So okay. thanks. Thanks for all your goodness, Terry Esau. Sometimes I just want to go out and ride my bike and set all this aside. <laughs> this side. This side. This side. <laughs> well, all thanks right. for being a common good doer. We appreciate it. And uh, thanks for all you do too, Doug. Uh, I've been a fan and following you for many, many years. So you bet, buddy. All right. We'll see you soon. We'll go for a ride, huh? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. We're and then we'll right. play guitar together. <laughs> I was going to say, I do have a carry case for my guitar, so we could, I don't know how that fits on a bike. I don't even know how that would go, but, you know, we could do both. We could ride our ride our bikes with guitars on our backs, and then, you know, you could teach me a classic riff. That would be, All right. would be great. Or smoke right. on the water. You could teach me smoke on the water is what you could do. Do you remember how to teach that? Do you, do you still know? I, I think I can fake it. Okay, great. <laughs> All right. Hey, we'll see you. Right. See you later. We'll we'll uh, we'll be back uh, we'll be back with you tomorrow. Thanks everybody for all your for all, all your good comments. Um, people sharing about things that are happening around and some good comments. So let's get some good music and good bikes out to kids. That seems like a good Thursday thing to do. Very Thursday of us. All right. Hey, uh, if you follow around on our stuff uh, and you've stuck with us this long, you probably care about this. But we're going to be in Pittsburgh, Columbus. Uh, West Michigan, which includes Grand Haven, Grand Rapids, Holland, South Bend, Indiana, Chicago, Illinois, 
Madison, Wisconsin area, and Minneapolis uh, over the next 10 days uh, or next two weeks. And so we'd love to see you at any of those places. So would you look us up uh, over at VoteCommonGood.com and come and come and visit us. And we want to tell you the good stories about immigration and what uh, we can and should be doing. All right. So we'll, uh, we'll talk with you tomorrow. 